asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're discussing debt elimination strategies and economic violence with Lynette Calfani-Cox. Yeah, Joel, our guest today is Lynette Alfani-Cox. Lynette, also known as the Money Coach, she is a personal finance expert, uh, a television and radio personality, and she's also the author of 12 books, including the New York Times bestseller, Zero Debt, The Ultimate Guide to Financial Freedom. Lynette is a former financial news journalist uh, who now teaches individuals nationwide how to better manage their finances. She has appeared on many TV programs like Oprah. You probably have heard of that one, Joel. Oprah, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Phil, The Today Show, countless others. And we are glad to have her with us today. So Lynette, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be with you. So Lynette, one thing that Matt and I do on on most of the shows that we release, we, we drink a beer while we're discussing personal finance. It's something that that we just really enjoy. And, and part of the ethos of our show is to, to spend money on something that you like while you're intentionally saving money uh, and investing money for the future. So our first question to every guest is, what is your splurge? What's your craft beer equivalent? Mm, well... Pre-COVID, I would have said uh, travel, believe it or not, (laughs) is one of the things that I probably did a little too much splurging on. But uh, in more recent months, I actually have gotten into all of these kind of like gourmet cheeses. 
Oh, and, <laughs> I like that. And um, but I'm still not there. Like, uh, you know, I'm not like the ultimate foodie or anything like that. But I, I even though I do splurge on them at one point, it just kind of was like in, in April and in May, it was a little bit ridiculous. And so I was like, <laughs> I'm just spending way too much money on just cheese here. So I kind of pulled back because literally I did feel guilty and I thought, okay, this can't possibly be healthy. <laughs> um, so um, I would, you know, that's kind of been one of my little splurges. You know, when you're getting oh all the stuff delivered, it's kind of easy to just click, click, click or oh, online. Yeah. And you start saying that looks good and that looks good. And, you know, and one time we had a little bit of a, of a mishap where one of our um, delivery persons, we were, you know, doing like a, a shipped style delivery. And in any event, my husband said, let me get this and that. And he said an assortment of these and deli meats and whatnot. And the person kind of misunderstood and got an assortment of every possible cheese that you could possibly. I mean, we we had oh, like wow. 15 different types of cheeses. And I was like, OK, no, this is a, this is a little extra here. And, and you can't so. even invite friends over to share <laughs> yeah, either. Exactly. You know, like that's exactly. one thing if you could just host a little party. But you're kind of stuck at home <laughs> eating that yourself. You're, I don't know if your kids are into it, but they're probably like this. Jesus is a little stinky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So we did, we, I made a little funny uh, Facebook live, a, a joke out of it and, and shared. And I was like, please help me people. Ideas here. People were like, freeze it, donate it, make oh some, you know, um, meals out of it and have some leftovers. And, you know, so, but Jesus, yeah, I, I put that in my beer craft uh, kind of equivalent. Okay, yeah, cool. I can see myself getting into nicer cheeses as well. Uh, I get some nicer ones at Aldi on occasion. But. <laughs> <laughs> Aldi's even got some of those cave age cheeses as well, you know, where they kind of have like the little pockets. I don't know yeah. what's like what makes a, a cheese cave aged other than maybe it's supposed to be aged in a cave. Uh, that's my guess. <laughs> <laughs> but they've got those little little uh, little pockets with like salt or some sort of crystals in there. And all I know is that there's just a lot of flavor in there and I like it. it sounds so. fancy. Uh, well, Lynette, you know, on this note, like you've said before that like it's important for us to purposely spend our money on the things that you want to spend money on. It sort of seems that this is like an underwriting principle that uh, that you use to kind of guide yourself. Why do you feel that this is so important to to make sure that we're you know realizing the fruit of our labor? Well, I've had the good fortune to uh, not only be a person who didn't know how to manage cash well and wisely in the past and didn't know how to budget and, and all those kind of things to a person who actually is pretty good at it now and who's helped, you know, many thousands of others um, to do the same. And one of the things that I can tell you unequivocally is that human nature cannot kind of deal with deprivation for very long. Mm -hmm. And so I, when I tell people to think about cash management and, and, and budgeting and, you know, that nasty little B word, I know that some people don't like to hear, but, um, <laughs> But to, to, to look at their spending and their financial choices um, in a way that's sustainable, the reason that you would factor into your spending plan of action, into your budget, um, some rewards, some treats, some things that, you know, make you happy is that over the long haul, it'll help you to stick with that game plan and it'll help you to be a more responsible uh, fiscally responsible person. If you just kind of put yourself in a financial straitjacket and you never enjoy yourself, you're just going to kind of gripe about all the things you can't have, what you can't buy, what you can't do. And who wants to live like that? I mean, everybody pretty much feels like, look, I work hard for a living. I deserve it. You know, we have a little bit of that mindset um, to a greater or lesser extent. 
And so I found that it's actually far more advantageous for people to just factor into their household budgets, into their spending plans, et cetera, some rewards and some elements that will um, help them to feel like, ah, I really love to spend money on this, or this is something I really enjoy doing and to do it happily. Mm, I love that. That's great. Yeah. And you, uh, Linda, you just referenced kind of your personal story with money. And I loved reading up on your history and kind of how, how you came to, to learn a lot, it's a lot of things through, through some hard knocks. And, but one of my, my favorite things that you shared is, is one of your earliest memories of learning about money. You talked about how your mom would task you with the grocery shopping. She'd hand you a $20 bill and then a shopping list <laughs> and send you into the store to get the groceries. So, so like, what did you learn about budgeting from kind of that chore that your mom essentially gave to you when you were just a young kid? Um, well, first, I mean, kudos to you guys. You've really done your homework here. <laughs> um, yes. So you have to kind of understand, first of all, my background. I was actually born in New York, but I moved to Los Angeles when I was like two years old. My parents moved to L.A. because my dad wanted to become an actor, of all things. And my parents uh, were together. They had five daughters, but they divorced when I was very young, when I was seven years old. And so my mom really had to, for the most part, raise five girls on her own in a two bedroom apartment in Southern California. Literally, that was for my whole life until my older sisters, you know, grew up and they went to college. Then, of course, I grew up and went to college. But as a child from elementary school on, my mom would send me to a local store Um, called Fedco in Los Angeles. And it was um, a place that she even later worked. But yes, I had to learn, you know, everything from kind of budgeting to um, delayed gratification to being really quick with math. Because in my head, I had to calculate everything, the weight of things. If I was buying something in terms of the price per pound, I had to know before I got to that cash register that if I had 20 or 25 bucks, that the chicken I'd bought, the milk, the bread, et cetera, that I wasn't going to go over to 20 or 25, you know, $20 and 50 cents or $25 and 50 cents even, or else I wasn't going to be able to have everything. And so, yeah, early on, there were times when it was like, nope, you don't have enough. What will you put back? <laughs> you know, kind of mm-hmm. thing. And It actually, a lot of things, frankly, in my childhood, which of course I had zero knowledge that it would provide any level of preparation for for what I do today. But honestly, a lot of things that I did as a child helped me in so many ways. Like people are shocked at how fast I am with math. I just add up everything, you know, in my head. Every time we go to the store, again, which is not often now given the (laughs) COVID-19 outbreak, but in the supermarket, We'll go, we'll grocery shop, we'll have a cart full of stuff, sometimes even two carts, and we'll get in, and my husband's like, oh my God, we're, sm- we're spending a small fortune here. And he's like, what do you think this is? And I'm not even like <laughs> consciously adding up as we go along, but then I'll go, oh, and I'll just like snap out of it, and then I'll take a look, and I'll start going, doom, 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 doom. I'm adding up, and I'll say, ooh, this is going to be about $315. We'll get to the, to the um, cash register. They ring it up. 
$314.20. I mean, so he's like, geez, how do you do that? The price is right. <laughs> exactly. So. You would be the perfect contestant yeah, on that show. That's goodness. a perfect skill. Well, Lynette, on that note, you know, you mentioned your sisters. In college, you know, you had gotten an internship that, that paid a stipend uh, at the end of the internship, but you needed money, you know, right then and there. You needed it immediately. Uh, can you recount that story of borrowing money uh, from a family member? <laughs> oh, God, this is embarrassing. But yes. So when I was an undergrad at um, UC Irvine, my very first internship was with ABC in uh, Pensacola, Florida, and it was with WEAR TV. And as it turns out, my sister, the oldest one, uh, Cheryl, um, who now is in Georgia and she, she owns a healthcare company. She was living there at the time. She had gotten her master's degree in public health there. But long story short, I applied for, you know, different internships. I got this one at WAR TV and yeah, I, I didn't really have the, the money to, 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 to come home. I didn't have money for a lot of things. They only gave us kind of a stipend at the very end. And so, yes, I kind of borrowed some money from my sister, from Cheryl, and I didn't repay her. And Ooh. she, so by the time I got back to Southern Cal to, to UCI, she was like, oh, hey, she was, you know, she called me and I was just like, oh, and I was kind of like, you know, kind of like dodging her calls a little bit and like, oh, let me call you back or trying to, you know, quickly get off the phone or whatever. So one day she kind of just like totally calls me on the carpet and she's like, Lynette, she was like, no, this is not acceptable. And she says, listen, I'm not going to chase you down and, and, you know, pursue you like a creditor as if I'm, I'm, you know, some bank or something. She said, but, you know, you have to be responsible. You borrowed the money and you need to pay me back. And if you can't, if you don't have the money, you need to tell me I don't have it. You need to make arrangements to pay it back. And, you know, you basically she just kind of read me the riot act and say, you have to be responsible and kind of, you know, put on your, your big girl pants here <laughs> and acknowledge your responsibility. And I was just like, I was, I was mortified. I was beyond embarrassed. And I was like, oh, you're right. And, you know, and so it was one of those lessons that I learned. And, and honestly, family is going to treat you way better. <laughs> you know, she didn't Seriously. put anything on my credit report. She didn't yeah. charge me extra interest, <laughs> you know, but it was a, it was a, a, a lesson. And, and, and again, guys, you know, I was a total hot mess early in my, you know, early adulthood in college and in, uh, in my young adult years in terms of just extremely poor financial habits. I got into, you know, student loan debt that was excessive given, you know, what I really could realistically afford. I had a car that got repossessed while I was in college. I had credit card debt. I was just like a, a total train wreck financially. And so, um, you know, it, it it's obviously been a much better story for me the last, you know, 15 plus years. But um, I'm so thankful. I'm so appreciative that I've kind of lived and gotten to the other side and can now help people to, to, to live much better financial lives as well. Yeah, Lynette, some, sometimes those early hard knocks that, that are really difficult when, when we're kids can help us in our future, right? And you've talked about that, just even the things that you learned and, and then the money mistakes that we make, you know, when we're, when we're early on in high school, college, early career, oftentimes 
can be the hard knocks that we need in order to to do better with our money later in life. So yeah, do you feel like that those you mentioned car repossession that happened to me when I was a kid? Our family had our car repossessed. And I just that sticks out in my mind as one of the hardest money things I've ever gone through, and and one of the the biggest lessons I learned when when that happened to my family. So. Do you feel like those those mistakes that you made kind of early on uh, helped you l- learn about money in a way that maybe you couldn't otherwise have from like podcasts and books? I definitely feel like I have greater sensitivity and greater compassion and awareness of what it's like to be in that predicament. Mm. And so it helps me to not make value judgments as much, I think. And it helps me to be able to sometimes better connect with people around a shared experience Uh, I'm not the kind of person who feels, though, exclusively like, oh, you had to have been, you know, poor or been in debt or you had to have personally gone through something to be able to, you know, quote unquote, uh, have any empathy whatsoever or to be able to understand it. Just like I think that a male doctor can deliver a baby. And even though he's never been pregnant or never given birth, as long as they're professionals and and they, you know, treat their patients with compassion and, and the appropriate amount of of respect, et cetera, in the process. So ditto for folks who are, you know, like us trying to help people to better navigate a whole host of, of really what can be sometimes complex or certainly bewildering financial issues. Um, I do think my personal experience helps. It, it makes me connect and resonate sometimes with people. But, uh, you know, I, I want to touch a little bit on what I think is a little bit implicit in the question that you asked about um, past mistakes and because I really don't want to give the impression that there was, that's all in the past. And, you know, I'm good now and I, I don't make any mistakes anymore. Uh, not. <laughs> um, because the reality is I definitely still make mistakes. I definitely still have uh, challenges and, and financial obstacles and hurdles. And, you know, I have a very robust um, financial life. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a business owner. Sometimes some of those financial mistakes can linger and can bite you in the butt, uh, you know, for for much longer time periods. And so I do think it's incumbent upon all of us to, you know, once you know better, you kind of start to do better. And then we kind of share and talk openly to hopefully at the end of the day, help others learn from our mistakes so they don't have to repeat them. Certainly. Yeah, it's it's good to, to be refined by these mistakes, right? These hurdles that we encounter versus being completely crushed by them. And it's, you know, it's encouraging to hear that that's what happened to you. And so, you know, Lynette, we're, we're talking some about some of the bad decisions you made, but uh, we're, we're also going to talk a little bit more about your debt, but specifically how you climbed out of that debt. And we're going to get to that right after the break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, 
but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money all right we're back from the break we're talking with lynette calfani cox and, and lynette we just got so much good perspective from you on what it looks like to learn from your mistakes. And, and at one point during you know, the, the worst part of how you were, you were doing with money, you were $100,000 deep in credit card debt. And that's obviously a, a lot of debt to have. But I feel like you have some great strategies that you figured out in order to climb out of that hole. So what were the main strategies that you felt like were the most helpful in, in helping you get those balances paid off quickly? Well, the main thing that I had to do is sort of become like the financial referee of my own life, you know, mm. and it, it might sound kind of, you know, like a little woo woo ish, you know, but <laughs> I had to like call a time out and kind of blow the whistle on myself and say, listen, girl, you got to get it together here. And again, in all candor, uh, Matt and Joel, I didn't just come to some great epiphany like, oh, it's time. Let's let's, you know, do away with the debt. 
I was sort of forced into, you know, the financial reckoning that I faced because I was at the point where I was maxed out with my credit cards. I couldn't get additional lines of credit. I would worry about when I went to go use my card at a particular mm -hmm. establishment or whatever, worried that it was going to get declined, et cetera. And so I was like, okay, you know what? This is, this is beyond ridiculous. This is, you know, more like redonkulous. It's, it's time to, <laughs> it's time to just fix this, you know? So um, not only that, but I had started, you know, in my career, I was working as a financial journalist and I was learning a lot more. And I was like, this is not rocket science. I can, you know, I, I see these guys doing this stuff. And, you know, at first I covered Wall Street and then I started covering personal finances. And I was like, I can learn, I can do this, <laughs> you know. I mean, so, if Matt and I can do it, Lynette, anybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what I tell people too. If I can, anybody can too, so... <laughs> So, um, you know, ultimately in order to get out of debt, I employed a variety of strategies. So it was everything from not falling into the minimum payment trap, which I had done for years. I was only making minimum payments. And of course, now I know that those little small minimum payments uh, now in the short run really just mean maximum payments in the long run, because you'll mm -hmm. just stay in yeah. debt month after month, year after year, because most banks and, and credit unions, et cetera, they usually only typically ask you to pay about one or 2% of the outstanding balance. And so of course, that's gonna keep you in debt. They, they love you as a customer because you're, you're helping to make them rich. Um, but you know, a lot of your money is going towards payment of interest and things of that nature. You're not really being as aggressive as is going to be required in order to more quickly uh, obliterate that debt. So that was one thing. I started using windfalls uh, much more wisely so a windfall is just kind of any unexpected lump sum of money out, mm -hmm. outside of your normal paycheck or your normal earning stream. And whether it was a tax refund check or a raise, a bonus on the job, um, holiday money, gift money, you know, some a check sent for, you know, a birthday, whatever. I took every bit of extra money that I received and I socked that towards the debt. Uh, I opted out of getting additional credit card offers because when you're already deep in debt, you just don't need that extra temptation. And a lot of times, right. a lot of folks will use what I call a switching debt or a shifting debt strategy. There's nothing wrong with, you know, getting a teaser rate. A balance transfers. Correct. Gotcha. Correct. That can help you and, and tide you over. And especially when you're, you know, if you have a, you know, 12, 15% interest rate uh, on a card. And if you can get a 0% card for, you know, a year, 18 months, absolutely take advantage of it. But if that becomes a habit and if that becomes the way in which you're able to afford your payments, and if that becomes the strategy that you're using so that you're constantly shifting debt as opposed to eliminating it, then that becomes, you know, problematic. Right. So yeah. there you um, go. And it, and it took you yeah. three years to pay off all of that credit card debt, right? That's correct. Um, yeah. So during that time, like what sacrifices did you make? I'm, I'm curious to hear those as well, as well too. You know, like at the beginning of the episode, we talked about some of the things that make, you know, life almost worth living a little bit, like making sure that we're not, you know, depriving ourselves too much. So I'm curious to know, A, like what are the, some of the things that you sacrificed, but what are some things that you knew that you were not willing to sacrifice on? Well, I definitely sacrificed on the travel and, and I don't even know if I want to use the word sacrifice as much. I had no business traveling when I was that much in debt. <laughs> but back then, again, this this was with my ex-husband. If, you know, if I wanted to jaunt off to the Caribbean or go wherever I wanted to go, 
I just did it, put it on a card and did not worry about it. I just thought I'll pay for that when I'll get around to it when I feel like it. And so now, of course, I have a, a plan. If I'm going to you know, put a vacation on a card, I'm going to pay it off in full or I'm going to say, OK, I'm going to pay 90 percent of it or 50 percent this month, and 50 percent next month, I, whatever I'm going to do. Usually it's me knowing ahead of time. It's not just like some random let me go now and enjoy myself and, and, and worry about paying later. Lynette, now, now you ask yourself some certain questions every time before you borrow money. Like, what, what are those questions and how do they help you decide whether or not you'll borrow to, to make a purchase? The main questions that I ask myself before I borrow at any level is how am I going to pay this back and when? Uh, I'm really super um, diligent about understanding like what is the purpose of using credit. If you're using it for strategic purposes in order to get ahead to, to finance purchases of a property, for example, and my husband and I own a house in the greater Houston area and we own five rental properties. In fact, we're in the process of buying one more and I've purchased property with cash and I've purchased properties using traditional mortgages. I've purchased properties with non-recourse loans and through other means. So for me now, the most important question is, What's the purpose of me borrowing? Is this something that I should finance as a whole in general or should I just pay cash? And if it's something that I'm I'm willing to borrow and to pay an X stated uh, interest rate for, when am I going to pay it off? Mm. I, I also think it's important to ask yourself, does this purchase, anything that you purchase uh, with financing, is it fitting into your overall goals? If the goal is really, oh, I want to be debt free or I want to pay off my credit card debt. Well, why are you keep adding to the debt? <laughs> like, why are you keep charging? You know, Warren Buffett said, if you find yourself in a hole, kind of rule number one is stop digging. Like, don't <laughs> keep adding to the debt and, you know, compounding the problem. It's like you're in kind of financial quicksand. You want to just kind of stop digging. And it could be anybody who's, you know, if you're thinking about, Hmm, should I go back to school to, to, to graduate school? Well, okay. How are you going to finance that education? Is an employer going to pay? Are you going to use tax credits? Are you going to get, you know, scholarships, grants, paid internships, work study? Are you going to take student loans out? And if so, what kind are they going to be federal or private? Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you really do have to ask yourself about the back end of borrowing which is kind of the least amount of discussion that people tend to to have. Most of us, really the reason that we borrow at any level is we don't want delayed gratification. You know, yeah. we want something now and it's faster and easier and more convenient to just say, you know what, I'm, I need some furniture and I'm going to just, you know, put this on a credit card or I want to go on this trip or I want to, you know, pay for this, you know, semester's tuition or whatever. And so I'm going to finance that. I'm going to take out a loan. I'm going to sign on the dotted line. Yeah, often it takes more more creativity, more legwork, more research in order to to avoid taking on debt for a purchase. But in my mind, that's kind of fun. That's that's part of the the, the chase <laughs> for me <laughs> yeah. when it comes to, to money. I love that aspect of it. It's like, how can I do this better, smarter, cheaper? How can I change the equation of this purchase that I'm making so that I don't have to take on debt or you know don't have to put this on a credit card that I can't pay off in order to you know make sure that my my finances remain intact and in a good place. Well, and, and Lynette, you also wrote an article earlier this year, uh, the five financial lessons from five great black leaders. Um, there, there are some great personal finance takeaways from each of their lives that you mentioned. I'd never heard of one of the leaders you had in there, Madame C.J. Walker. She was one of, the, one of America's first uh, black female millionaires. 
And the lesson that you highlighted from her life was that entrepreneurship often builds wealth, as well as you can always create a job of your own by offering services and products that people need. And so as an entrepreneur yourself, uh, why do you believe that this is so important? Well, I definitely love to preach about the value and the benefits of entrepreneurship, even though I recognize that, frankly, it's not a pathway or strategy that everyone can utilize, mainly because not everybody wants to be their own boss. You know, one of my books in the beginning, you guys referenced uh, that I have 12 books. And then I was like, Oh, they got my old bio. Oh, there are <laughs> more now? <laughs> I've actually written 15, but, oh but who's goodness. counting? But who's Prolific. counting? <laughs> wow. So, um, but, so one of my books was called The Money Coach's Guide to Your First Million and is uh, seven strategies, you know, essentially about creating the, the, the wealth of your dreams. And so I share different strategies for becoming a millionaire. And at the heart of it, you know, you can just look at the numbers and see, um, especially in this country, that the vast majority of people who are millionaires are business owners. And so, yes, um, Madam C.J. Walker was an entrepreneur in the hair care business, essentially for for black women. And, uh, you know, this was at a time when, you know, early 1900s, when it was just extremely rare for blacks to achieve those kinds of financial uh, heights. So long story short, I do believe, especially now, given the ongoing uh, pandemic and given the fact that we've had, you know, tens of millions of Americans uh, lose their jobs, et cetera, I do believe that you absolutely can always create a job of your own. And so many people who have like tremendous skill sets you know, they might see their talents and abilities or even a hobby that they're good at as just something kind of fun or a little, you know, uh, something they do on the side or sometimes, you know, a a more formal kind of side hustle. But a lot of people don't recognize how readily they can parlay that into full-time entrepreneurship if they so chose. Right. And so um, it's just the limitless factor that I really like and appreciate. It's just the idea that you're not capped and that at the end of the day, if you're working for somebody else, um, either you're kind of trading hours, you know, your, your hours for money, or you are, you know, getting a check and a salary that is essentially established, set and or limited by someone else's ability or willingness to, to write a certain check. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as an entrepreneur, the sky's the limit. It's like, how hard do you want to work? <laughs> Where do you want to kind of stake your fortunes? And, and, and what niche or even broader would you like to, to kind of claim? And so for me, I love, love, love being an entrepreneur. And even how I stumbled into this, to this in 2003 was that I was laid off from a job. I was, a, again, I was a Wall Street Journal reporter for CNBC And, you know, they came to us, you know, about 200 of us one day and said, sorry, we can't afford you guys. You got to go. And I was like, what? I thought I had a contract, (laughs) you know. Well, like what you said about the pandemic, right? Like nothing is certain, uh, given, especially given the the current, you know, conditions we find ourselves in. Like a lot of folks think that there is more security from a traditional job like that, from something that's more nine to five. But, you know, like so many people have seen, like nothing is guaranteed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right. And at so many levels, you know, I think a lot of us are seeing that now and are understanding that, 
hmm, you know what? Even if you worked in government and you thought that you had, quote unquote, a, you know, safe, secure, even if you were, a, you know, at an institution of higher education and you thought you had tenure, you know, furloughs happen, reduced mm-hmm. hours, you know, just stuff happens. And so um, to me, part of the pathway of entrepreneurship is giving yourself a, a different income stream, is diversifying a bit, and is giving yourself something that you can't get anywhere else because you're only going to go away if you fire yourself. <laughs> and I'm not going to fire myself anytime soon. So <laughs> now you got more books so, to write, Lynette. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple more in me. <laughs> right. Hey, so, so Lynette, we, we want to talk actually about something else you've written. You wrote an article recently on, on Get Rich Slowly about uh, economic violence. And in particular, we want to have a discussion with you about race and personal finance. And so we'll get to some of those questions right after the break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money i'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans we always like to get the families together matt for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer we've already got that trip to saint simon's on the calendar pump for that but sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host, or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, Or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we are here talking with Lynette Calfani-Cox. And Joel, we're gonna, let's dive now into maybe a more difficult, maybe an uncomfortable topic for some folks. We're going to talk a little bit about race in the wake of the tragic murder of George Floyd. Lynette, you wrote a post where you specifically detailed some of the different economic acts of violence uh, that have been done to African-Americans over the last 400 years. Uh, Slavery, it's the most obvious example of this, but can you discuss some of the other lesser known injustices as well? Sure. So, you know, I think first let's acknowledge the kind of elephant in the room. And yes, it's not a comfortable or kind of a happy topic for for any of us to have to to engage in. But the fact that we're actually having this conversation, a very candid conversation, it really does give me hope. I mean, Mm. because in so many instances, this would have just been kind of, you know, swept under the rug and, and not dealt with. And I do think that as a nation, we are having a reckoning and it's a long overdue one because the fact is that even today there are many uh, levels of uh, inequity that uh, people of color and that African-Americans in particular face. And so, yeah, this post that I wrote, um, you saw it on Get Rich Slowly. It's on my blog as well on askthemoneycoach.com. I actually started as a something that I wrote on Facebook, but essentially I tried to kind of summarize, you know, if you could do that in like, you know, a thousand words. Um, a Let me try to do know, the impossible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I tried to sort of summarize what it's meant economically for black people to be in this country for 400 plus years in a system that was 100% stacked against them. And it might sound harsh. And I know some people might be like, oh my God, we're going to go back to slavery. We're going to talk about this. And you know, can we get over this and a whole bunch of other things? Believe me, myself and every other black person I know would love to get over this. We would love Mm -hmm. to move past this, but we can't. The reality is that there's still inequity. There's still injustice. There's still racial discrimination at so many levels. And I only touched the surface. The gist of what I wrote about is that out of slavery, after we, you know, you kind of come past the Blacks getting here as enslaved people in in 1619 in in, in Jamestown and then going, you know, 200 plus years going through the Civil War 
and it's, you know, I didn't go through every single breakdown of, of, of every, you know, possible economic injustice face, but just obviously the system of slavery in and of itself was one of forced labor, but it's also one that entirely built the U.S. as a, a powerhouse internationally. And so slavery itself was big business. And the fact that cotton was the world's number one commodity led to so many benefits for uh, America at a financial level. But then even after, you know, we had the Civil War and after 1865, there was the development of, you know, these so-called black codes. And it was rules basically that, again, prescribed by law and that essentially reinforced, even though there wasn't um, officially any slavery anymore, it reinforced at the legal, at the societal, at the economic level, the same system of slavery by disenfranchising African-Americans. So they couldn't work wherever they wanted to. They could not have more than one job. They couldn't own property. There was restrictions on being able to rent or lease land. It was a whole bunch of uh, rules and regulations and laws that kind of uh, codified all kinds of uh, inequity. And so those uh those racist black codes, which is what they were called, led to Jim Crow laws, and which is, you know, sort of more recent history that perhaps someone's grandfather or, or grandmother, you know, knew about, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it permeated everything. Home ownership is one of those pathways to wealth. So if you take away people's ability to become homeowners, then you definitely are kneeling on their necks economically. You're impairing them from being able to participate in the fullness and the richness of what America has to offer. And that's literally exactly what happened with a whole range of housing discrimination laws that were passed, that were at the federal level, where it was literally the law from all the way from the 30s through the 60s, that the federal government said, nope, we will not insure any home loans for black people. Hmm. <laughs> and that they underwrote and did insure home loans for whites. And as a result, that's when the white middle class sprung up in all these suburban areas and, and whatnot. And so it's a tough thing to, to talk about and to confront, but that legacy remains to this day. The Federal Reserve Bank did a study recently and found that racial discrimination and mortgage lending exists to this day. This is not Lynette Calfani Cox, the money coach, coming up with this and saying that this is the Federal Reserve, mm. you know, Stanford, um, UC Berkeley, other researchers have all found the same things. And so unless we get really honest and candid about some of the ways in which this is still going on to this day, then we're not going to be able to come up with uh, the appropriate solutions and the remedies to kind of fix some of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Lynette, we, all of our listeners know that money compounds, (laughs) the more you invest as a young person, the more money you're going to have in retirement and money compounds generationally too. And a lot of black people in this country have lesser generational wealth because of the black codes that you talked about because of slavery. I mean, it's affected 
black people to this day. It's obviously a complex issue. And I, I agree with you that it's this much needed combo. It feels like it's finally starting to happen. And that's part of the reason we wanted to have you on on the show today. I feel like your, you know, you know, your personal story, but then also talking about race, how you wrote about it so well. What are your thoughts on on like where we go from here? How how do we move forward as a country to address these historical and these systemic injustices? Well, I think the main thing is that first there has to be this awakening, this reckoning that we're having. And I'm of the mindset that conversation, dialogue, and candor are a requirement. It's like the fundamental uh, kind of building block to move forward. Different black people of different mindset and orientation, and you know, we're not a monolithic group where everybody has their own kind of thinking and approach to it. But some people are like, look, the time for talking is over with. We've, we've told you this for 400 years. Why do I have to keep you know, re-educating you or keep telling you to, to again, stop sort of, you know, physically and or economically, you know, putting your knee on my neck. But I am of the mindset that there has to be sort of an, a, an adjustment period where I do feel like most of white America kind of has had an awakening. And we can say how and why and, and whatever else, but the fact that we're in the middle of a, of a global pandemic, the fact that, you know, many people are working from home, have a little more time and attention to to pay to some of these issues means that the entire country, the entire world saw that heinous video and the eight minutes and 46 seconds. Mm -hmm. I didn't, frankly, I I just cannot watch it, but I, I know the outcome of it and I know what happened. So I feel like for a lot of people, it was like, wow, this is really, this does happen, or this is a wake up call. And then the civil unrest and everything that's happened and how violent and how um, forceful in many cases, the police response has been, has been yet another wake up call. So there's a whole bunch of things to talk about. And at the end of the day, I think that when we get into the heart of honest conversation, the next step is going to be policy, regulatory changes, law, and ultimately trust me guys, we will get to the question of reparations. Mm. And some people have flat out said, you cannot even count the tally. You cannot, how do you pay back for 400 years of systemic, you know, um, racism and et cetera. Frankly, I would like to see them try. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the fact that we can't put a number on it, you know, uh, I, I can I can see uh, an opportunity to try and I know it's going to be controversial. I know it's going to be a hard conversation, et cetera, et cetera. But you can't apologize. You can't reckon. You can't um, fix something without redress, without some remedy. And it can't just be, I'm sorry, this shouldn't have happened. We'll do better. It, it just doesn't work that way. So the, the, the next steps are going to be equally um, trying and challenging, but it's so overdue. Yeah, it's overdue. And it's, I mean, it's so important. You know, I, I like what you said earlier there too, Lynette, just how I, th- I think so many people haven't realized how real racism actually is in our country. And, you know, so much of this is, taking the time to realize that this is a real thing. I, I think it's difficult because a lot of people aren't realizing it themselves personally, right? And right. so if you don't realize something yourself, it makes it really kind of difficult. It's It takes active work to try to put yourself in someone else's shoes. 
And, and like you said, I think starting by listening and starting by, by learning, I think these are the two first steps, which is, you know, part of why that we're talking about this. We feel this is so important. Um, you know, you, you're talking about policy, even on an individual level, like what steps do you think individuals can take? Because uh, obviously policy can sometimes take a really long time, but right. some of the actions that we can take ourselves when it comes to our money can be pretty immediate. So, so what steps do you, you know, would you like to see or, or, or would you recommend for individuals to take to help right that injustice? Well, I think every single one of us can think about doing some things differently. So I cannot tell you the number of uh, white people I've had in particular who've reached out to me in recent weeks for a whole host of things to ask for referrals and recommendations for people they wanted to hire to ask me to lend my voice or to um, just, you know, share my own insights um, from a financial perspective. And so, or to just do things like say, what can we, you know, and what should we be doing better or different? And so each person has a chance to amplify other voices. People can look very carefully at their own biases and say, hmm, why is it that I am surrounding myself with friends who are only exactly like me. Mm. They, you know, they kind of live in my same neighborhood. They're the same socioeconomic status, same uh, racial background, et cetera. And they can ask themselves, would I benefit or could my organization benefit from a diversity of thought, from other insights and other perspectives? There's a lot that's going on in the halls of corporate America right now in terms of corporate governance. Because at the end of the day, we are going to have to have some kind of top down, some approaches that are, again, systemic. You need a systemic answer to a systemic problem. So, yes, each one of us can can raise our voices, can do various things. And we can ask ourselves, you know, when I'm looking to hire, for example, am I hiring any minorities? Am I hiring any women? Am I hiring any black people or is it literally all everybody looks just like me? So there's a lot of work to be done, but start with just asking yourself, what, am, what does my own circle look like? What do my peers look like? When, I'm, when I wanna call a source, and you guys called me to, to do this podcast. So that tells me you're already on the right track in terms of thinking about outreach and having representative voices from all walks of life. That sure. helps a lot. Sure. Well, I mean, even on an individual level, we all play roles, right? Whether it comes to our government, schools, churches, you know, where we work, our communities, and we have impacts within all of those different levels, uh, within all those different spheres uh, that we participate in. And so certainly, I, you know, I don't think that, you know, saying focusing only on what you can do as an individual isn't an excuse for some of those larger industries to not change. It's the very reason that those organizations should change uh, because we're changing on an individual level. But uh, but yeah, I love what you're saying there, Lynette. Yeah, Lynette, th- this is a great conversation and I agree. I mean, that our show, we want our show to be representative of a multitude of voices because Matt and I know our experience is limited. <laughs> it's very, yeah. it very much comes from uh, something that we've experienced as men in the South and, and the, who live in the South. And, and there are so many other people who have so much to add to this conversation when it comes to personal finance. And you are one of them. And so we're, we were so glad to have you on the show today. So where, where can our listeners find out more about you? They can find me on all social media channels via at the money coach or by my full name, Lynette Calfani Cox. 
So my own site is askthemoneycoach.com and our video-based uh, coaching platform is online at moneycoachuniversity.com as well. Very cool. Well, Lynette, we'll link to both of those in our show notes. Again, we really appreciate you coming on and talking with us today. And again, I mean, hopefully by this conversation, we can get folks kind of going in the right direction, right? To, to make these changes, not only, you know, in their own personal individual lives, but just our, our nation and our, our world as a whole. So thanks again for coming on. You're welcome. My pleasure. All right, Matt, that was such a great conversation with Lynette. I feel like she had so much to offer, including you know, her personal story, but then just so much wisdom, so much depth. And she's thought through money, uh, you can tell, to to a large degree. I mean, 15 books worth <laughs> of thinking about money. But yeah, what <laughs> Not was, 12, right, 15. We, we were wrong on that. And uh, Matt, what was your big takeaway from, from our conversation with Lynette? Man, I totally agree. This was an awesome conversation with Lynette. Really enjoyed it. And my big takeaway, I'm going to go back to something she said at the very beginning. And this is such a core element of our show because it's something that can apply to anybody that's listening, which is you have to figure out what it is that you spend money on that, that moves the needle for you. When it comes to our money, it's so important for us to figure out a plan that's sustainable. And that's, not, that's something she, she mentioned, right? Where if we are constantly depriving ourselves of the things that we enjoy, that is not going to be something that's sustainable. So maybe if you're paying off debt, yeah, you spend some extra money on nice craft beer or nice cheese, and you're not going to be able to pay off your debt nearly as fast. But we're in this for the long run, and we need to make sure that we're taking the, the steps that are going to allow us to finish the race strong. We need to make sure that we're focused on those long-term goals, not just on the short-term immediate goals that we've set for ourselves. Yeah, it's similar to dieting in that way, right? It's so right. easy to come up with this hardcore diet, stick to it for a couple of weeks, and then fall off the wagon. And yeah, something she said was human nature cannot deal with deprivation very long. There you go. That was uh, so true. <laughs> if we, we try to deprive ourselves to the nth degree, we're going to find ourselves sinking back into our old habits. Whereas if we can come up with something workable, we're going to stick to it. And I th yeah, I think that was something awesome that she that she mentioned in this episode. But what about you, man? That one doesn't count as as your big takeaway. I want to hear something fresh from you. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so we, when we mentioned her article about five financial lessons from five great black leaders, one of the people that she highlighted, which you mentioned, Matt, was Madam C.J. Walker. And and the, the particular line that she mentioned in that article and that she talked about in the show too, was you can always create a job of your own by offering services and products that people need. And her bent towards entrepreneurship and towards pushing people in that direction. Granted, it's not for everyone, but there are so many people that graduate from college or from high school and they're just looking for a job. And if you can look to create your own job by serving other people, by creating a product or a service that, that is needed or doing it better than other people are currently doing it, the sky's the limit when it comes yeah. to how much you can make and what you can create. There are so many people who have become millionaires through business ownership. It's not just through taking that 6 or 8 or 10% uh, of the money that your employer is paying you, putting it in your 401k or into an IRA. Those are great things to do. But you can exponentially grow your wealth by starting your own business. And I think that's something not enough people consider. So yeah, I loved her, her view and her stance on that. Yeah. You said the sky's the limit. I mean, that's something she said. She said that entrepreneurship is limitless. And I loved how she was talking about parlaying these skills and these natural talents that you have into something where you're able to make a living, where you can support you know, yourself and save for the future while living a life now that is really fulfilling. And full of cheese too. <laughs> yeah. But I love that you picked that one as well. That was awesome. That was like my second pick. So you and I kind of <laughs> both kind of picked the, the same two points that maybe stood out to both of us. The but, highlights. Uh, 
But real quick, let's kind of touch on the beer this episode. We enjoyed uh, Funky Gold Mosaic by Prairie Artisan Ales. This was a dry hop sour ale. I'll go ahead and share my thoughts on this one, man. Funky, you know, it had that sour tartness going on, but it was dry hopped as well. So it kind of had a little bit of that green herbal nature to it as well. Kind of mixed in there with the sours. I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad that you and I got to share this one, man. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, Prairie makes some great beers. And this yeah. this is one of my favorites that they make, actually, because there aren't many chances that you get to have a beer that is a mix of hoppy and sour. Like th- those two things don't typically go together. Usually it's super hoppy or it's super sour. And those are separate beers. But this one, they kind of put the kitchen sink together and they made this hoppy sour beer. And I just, I like the interplay of both of those flavors. And so, yeah, I like this one. Funky Gold Mosaic, definitely worth picking up if you find it at your local bottle shop. All right, man, that's going to do it for this episode. For folks that want show notes, just go to our website, howtomoney.com. So, buddy, until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 